Hello, you are listening to 26th episode of CTOcast. Today is Thursday, April 27th of uh, 2017. Uh, you can listen all episodes if you subscribe at CTOcast.com or in iTunes. I'm your host, Alex Estapinka from Amsterdam, and I'm happy to introduce our guest, uh, Christian Ribernik, CEO of uh, Six Voices and ex-CTO of N26, who is now in uh, Berlin, as far as I know. Hi, Christian. Hi, Alexander. Pleasure to be here. Great. Uh, let's start from your short bio, which we prepared uh, for this podcast uh, beforehand. Uh, so Christian graduated from a technical university in Vienna uh, with master degree in business informatics. Starting from 2000, for 10 years, uh, uh, you worked as software developer and team lead and section had devel uh, development in BWIN. Then from 2012-10, uh, for five years, uh, you, was, you were CTO in such companies as Immobilian, uh, Parship Elite Group, Xanax. And then for several months in 2015, uh, Christian was a consultant of Chief Product Officer of Share the Meal, United Nations program. Uh, starting from August 2015, Christian was CTO of N26 Group, a Berlin-based fintech startup uh, which offers the first bank account in Europe which uh, customers can manage entirely on smartphone. And as far as I know, not so long ago, you became a founder and co-founder, I don't know, uh, of your own startup of uh, Six Voices and you are CEO also of this startup. And probably let's start from this point, uh, when you actually founded this company and uh, what is that about, this new company? Um, so, correct, yeah, I just started the company this year, um, now in the early days. Um, the, the vision, or what I believe is, is really changing, is that the interface um, voice, um, which we have seen also using Amazon Echo or Google Home, is becoming really interesting and is already mainstream in the uh, consumer area. And our vision is to bring voice as an interface to the workspace. And um, the first product we are currently working on is a virtual assistant for meetings, which helps you uh, to run uh, effective and fun meetings by taking, uh, by helping you to prepare, taking notes and to-dos during the meeting, um, and helping you also do the follow-ups. Um, and that's what we are working on currently. And is that some kind of application or what, what, what the technology behind of that? The, the virtual assistant will be available on your smartphone as a mobile app, but it's also a virtual assistant who can dial in via the phone into a phone conference system. Um, and we have also the vision to build it as a hardware and make it really the hardware available. And uh, as far as I understand, on that market, there are pretty much already... Um, assistants, but they are probably more chat-based, uh, not uh, uh, voice-based. Uh, so what is your probably main competitive advantage? And uh, are there any uh, big competitors on that market? So I think thanks to voice, it's the first time actually in history that um, it's possible to cover, um, not uh, help not just making preparation of the meeting and the uh, um, work out of, but also actually be in the meeting and assist during the meeting and therefore cover the complete customer journey and help you really to make fun meetings. And I think this is special because it wasn't possible so far because it's just now in the last 
um, months or years now, the technology of voice recognition um, improved um, that good to a level which is actually acceptable. And is it a B2C uh, product or uh, you plan to sell it to corporations? Uh, so do you have this, some, some kind of corporate customers? And the target audience is anybody from project managers, leaders who really running meetings and organizing the meetings and want to run better uh, meetings. Um, then also it's interesting product for researchers and interviewers because um, it helps you literally also to record meetings and make those meetings searchable. And uh, finally, um, we think it's also interesting for sales agents who um, want, for example, to debrief um, their calls, their meetings they had with their um, uh, with their customers, um, and have and make sure that this is uh, covered well. For example, uh, in Salesforce. And speaking about technologies behind that, uh, as far as I understand, you've got a development team in Berlin, right? Right. And uh, could you please elaborate a little bit about like what specific technologies you're using? So um, for us, it's been important as a startup to uh, be fast, but also be scalable because you don't know at the beginning what kind of demand you can expect. So what we are currently working on is based on, the, on a public cloud uh, from an infrastructure perspective. Um, and on the other hand side, we're using Java uh, because with Java, you... There's um, a lot of frameworks and tools already um, in place for audio processing and signal processing, which helps you to speed up the development. Okay. And uh, speaking about integration, do you already have or probably plan to have some kind of integrations with uh, some project management tools or emails, I don't know, email clients, uh, etc. you know, to send probably like meeting follow-ups or something mm -hmm. like that? Mm -hmm. So currently, we are all in notes. Um, we think they must be open. Um, so we are writing notes directly into a Google document currently. At a later point of time, we will do this with Office, Office 365 as well. But the current integration with G Suite and tasks. Um, so on the one hand side, if you are, imagine you are in a meeting, you're sitting together with um, people from maybe different departments even. Everybody should have the same understanding of the meeting. So that's this is the meeting minutes, so to say which are documenting Google document and everybody has access to it. But then for you personally, you might use, a, for example, a task or project management solution, which is different where you have actually your overview. And we are doing, for example, an integration here with Asana, uh, where a task is then automatically on one side uh, written into the Google document, but then also directly uh, integrated with your Asana. And um, you can change status updates, for example, there. And by that, On the one side, all participants have the status, but then again, for you, you don't need to change your process. It looks like you are starting removing uh, product uh, project management uh, guys like from their positions, right? So you <laughs> automate their activities. We want to give them the right tool to be really efficient and concentrate on what matters most, which is to make the product uh, the project a success. Okay, sounds good. Actually, like frankly speaking, uh, it was a little bit unexpected uh, for me. I was uh, I, I planned to start to speak more about uh, fintech, about N26, and uh, I wanted to start from uh, the question uh, about your journey from being software developer uh, to being CTO. But now you are even CEO. So could you please like give, give a brief 
history of uh, how you became, uh, first of all, CTO and then a CEO and what's changed uh, in your probably perception of the business, uh, perception of the things you're doing? I think, um, like everybody, I have a quite unique story in that respect um, because I actually studied, I began to study economics, um, but I was rather bored at the university and that's the reason why I started my own company. And um, having no tech background from an educational perspective, I had a father which was working in the technical field and had the opportunity, therefore, to learn quite early on um, how to develop on computers, um, how to destroy them if necessary, how to hack them. And therefore, I had a um, high affinity with technology from the early days of my young years. And starting my own company, I learned a lot about how to create meaningful solutions and products and this and there as I like that what I was possible actually using technology and uh, coming up with the internet to have a kind of large reach and global reach um, and creating products which are not just available for a small audience but bigger audience this was really interesting for me and that kept um, my uh, attention and drive so to say further down the road so this is also the reason why I continued to learn and grow as a developer to create really large and meaningful solutions. But um, at one point of time, it was not just uh, the question of how to develop the software so it's running fast and scalable, but it was also how to um, help others grow, how to build organizations to create large, larger software projects uh, and get and get those things done. And that's why I and if they grew um, naturally, naturally, more or less, in the, in the organization to help scale not just the technology, but the organization as well. And by that, um, taking over more and more responsibility from an organization perspective, how actually to do software projects, how to hire the right people, um, how to make them um, enjoy work and have a, uh, and creating a, um, uh, and uh, creating a product. And um, knowing that it was for me like it became became now being a large company, I felt that I was restricted uh, by others, uh, so to say, uh, when I didn't have the power to be, be a CTO where I can also make decisions. So that's the reason why I decided that I really want to be not just um, implementing things, but I want also to be able to decide on how um, the architecture should look like. Um, how things are built, and that's why I uh, was interested highly into becoming a CTO, uh, because I thought I had some good understanding of how to run actually software products projects and how to build the architecture for it. So this was me a, a more or less natural evol evolution, um, and and was also interesting to learn and grow personally. Um, and as you mentioned, I, in between building technology. Uh, using technology, building technology products, it was just natural that you're actually already defining how products um, are working. And by that, I uh, also worked quite often as a CPO or the person who was in charge also to define the product because you have a need from a high understanding for technology products, um, a deep understanding of how actually things work together and what is possible. Um, yeah, and so that was for me then the next step of learning how to do and validate product hypothesis, how actually um, to do uh, also um, user interviews, how to make sure you're building the right thing, making the right choices there. Yes, and 
um, then my next and the current challenge is um, now I know a lot about technology, I know a lot about the product, um, and I learned also during the phase a lot of marketing. But for me, it's it's the next big challenge I'm, I'm now confronting is actually running my own startup um, as a CEO, being really responsible for the vision strategy and the bigger picture, or including also if it comes to actually selling and explaining the product to other people. Um, and that's that I'm now, and, and again, a new big challenge for me, um, I'm looking forward to. And uh, it's a very interesting topic. Uh, what is your way uh, to get new knowledge, new, ski- new skills? You first of all jump in uh, into something new for you and then learn as you go? Or you spend some time getting some new skills, getting some new knowledge? Uh, and it's not only about like uh, switching between uh, developer, CTO, CEO, like uh, gaining some knowledge in marketing and as you mentioned economics probably, but also you're changing domains. You've been working in gambling, right, for quite quite uh, lots of time there. Then you switched into the fintech, so probably these two domains are close to each other uh, in some way, and now you're switching to again, completely different domain. So what is your probably advice to those who are trying to uh, keep uh, um, knowledge actual and keep growing? Uh, how, how do you do uh, that? So I mentioned I studied economics, but I never finished it because I set up my own enterprise um, because it was just bored. Uh, it didn't make so much sense, I think, to be honest back then, why I really need those things. And I couldn't judge if they're meaningful for me or not. Um, I later on actually completed uh, my study of Master of Science um, during I was working already, and it made so much more sense all of a sudden because I understood all the connections um, and the bigger picture, and um, it was all totally easy for me to learn those things. And I think this is sort of the same what um, also helped me during the rest of my career, that if you're really actually applying things um, or you're really interested in things because you need to solve things, it's much easier for me personally, at least, to learn because you you can make sense of it. Um, you don't need to learn product management if you're not at all interested in creating products. Um, you don't need to learn finance if you're not in, have some, some if you don't need to look into how to do that and uh, finance your business, maybe. So I think this is true uh, for me at least, that it's really easier to learn when you have the challenge because then you know what you're aiming at and you have a clear goal and you have a clear reason of why you're doing the things you're doing. Um, and the same thing is true, I think, also for domains. Um, so I think every domain is quite challenging and uh, there's a lot of, to learn in depth to really fully understand it. Um, and it's great if you're working in because you, understand, you, have, you really can make better decisions. On the other hand side, there's an advantage also learning a new domain when you're jumping into it because um, especially if it's if it's an older domain because you can challenge and question the status quo always. Why is it the way it is? Um, and this by this, um, you, ch- you ask those questions within the current context maybe of modern technology where you have new questions. Yeah? For example, um, nobody would question uh, why you need cash 20 years ago. Today, uh, maybe there are a couple of people who actually don't want cash anymore. They question the idea of cash. Does it need to be paper or coins? Or how can actually, for example, um, money be anonymous but digital and easier 
more portable. Those questions you only ask um, when you're jumping into a new domain and not typically when you are in a domain working for years or decades. So I think that's the interesting part of jumping in a new domain. And um, I N26, most of the people actually didn't have any clue about banking before they joined N26. And that was making us also a strong side because all of us were eager to learn and needed to learn the domain. Um, to make, and But also challenge the status quo of what is actually possible. How can things be solved? And why are the things just solved the way they are solved? It's just, um, in our respect, some of them just didn't make much sense. And um, taking a fresh approach on solving that maybe from a different angle. It's a pretty interesting point of view. And actually, I've got... Uh... Uh, the same like uh, the question you already answered uh, it was like what is more important to have experience for example in banking uh, in order to start fintech uh, company or uh, it's better to have like some fresh look from outside uh, which may probably bring uh, help to bring new like real disruption into the industry and as far as I understood you think that it's better to do not have uh, the main knowledge and to come uh, uh, like uh, ready for new disruption uh, without any biases uh, when you have some domain knowledge right I think yes generally yes but it's but you cannot just challenge the status quo. You need you need somebody to learn from. You need somebody who can tell you and explain you why the things are the things they are. Because you also want to skip um, mistakes which have been already tried, maybe, or at least get a reasoning behind and maybe change challenge the reasoning. So learning a new domain isn't easy, um, and you need somebody uh, to which honestly and um, which has insights actually to help you get jump started. If you don't have that, just learning it, you could. There are, I think there are a lot of traps as well, uh, and there are good reasons for certain things why they are. Um, and it's good to understand that because only if you really dig deeper and understand them, you can challenge them. So just taking the results often isn't isn't enough. And that's I think it's an important part in domain learning, um, having the right partner, the right person to learn from and discuss with them. Then, based together, most likely you can actually challenge the things below. Um, and it's good to have somebody with a fresh mindset. But you need also somebody to help you understand and um, what is currently there. Okay, uh, let's now speak about M26. Uh, and could you please uh, give a short uh, introduction about M26 for those who are not probably aware of that? So. N26, I think, is one of the most modern banks in Europe, and we have built a bank for mobile um, first. So that means that you can literally sign up at home at any point of time, for example, at 11 o'clock in the night, um, and open a bank account. Um, and that's done via uh, verifying the identification, via video conference, and it's easy and it's fast. And then you have um, a like, bank account and you have a, a MasterCard, which you can use um, at any point of time worldwide and you can use uh, also the whole account is for free and the card is for free so it's really inexpensive and that's so they also built for the modern world and if you um, for, send the money want to send money to a friend uh, for example for lunch um, you can then record as a money beam and transfer money instantly 
And there's nothing like you need to wait for a transfer like days, but it's really instantly and you can just do it via email address or a mobile phone number. So again, this, this thing, the bank is built for the modern generation, which is also using WhatsApp or Facebook, and they are not want to wait for money for a couple of days, but want to want to have uh, a real-time experience. And uh, N26 is bring this not just uh, from the account perspective to the next level, but overall, um, it's the same uh, thing is true, for example, for credit. So you can um, get a, a credit line instantly. Um, you can even get a normal consumer credit up to 25,000 euro uh, just on your mobile phone. You can also do investments into ATF portfolios with a few clicks. And there's there's more to come. Everything what N26 is doing is really built for your mobile phone so that you have it 24-7 with you available wherever you are in the whole world. Um, and we think that's a, that's a new way of experience, actually banking, uh, by having it really in your pocket from um, a complete perspective. So that anything you want to do, you can solve it in a part of time. Okay, let's probably discuss a little bit in more details about the uh, differentiators from product perspective uh, of N26 in compare with traditional banking. All of them now got uh, mobile applications. Right. So, uh, what is the main difference uh, which N26 have from product perspective? Um, I think it's really important to understand that this year of mobile first. It's not built that there are um, any outlets or retail chains. Yeah? Um, and this is important because it means in every aspect you're doing, it's intended to be for the mobile. And while other banks, they might have, for example, a few on where you can look at your account, but not the sign up. And if you want to change anything for the, with the credit card, like block it if you're in another country, again, maybe it's not in the app, but you still need to do the phone call um, or you have to pay uh, for things um, like blocking or unblocking a credit card, which shouldn't be the way, um, uh, actually, because it's, it's a very low-consuming con con low, um, action. And this is the important part. The whole uh, bank is also built without uh, retail outlets. So it's also built with a lower cost cost um, and a higher operational excellence for automation, which again um, gives the consumer, I think, the perspective that this is also uh, a product which is not just free now, but will continue to be free um, on the long run. Um, and then in that respect, there are a couple of functionalities and features and aspects which really take take banking to the next level, um, like also what you are expecting from other apps. And I mentioned that, like things with sending money, not to an account number, which nobody remembers, but using email address, using a, a phone number. That's the thing, like if you're using your credit card, you instantly see uh, the money uh, on your account, what actually was, uh, was deducted from the account. It's about the security, how it's built. There is no things like uh, paper town lists, confirmation lists, but it's built on a three-step security process, which is intended to work mobile and guarantee the best security. Yeah, um, so this is, I think, what is differentiating us, but it's taking also, not just on a, a feature level, uh, banking to to next step, but also for example, if you are a student and you study in Germany, but then um, you go abroad, for example, to France, um, typically in the past, you need to open your new bank account there. 
with N26, which is currently active in 70 countries, you can take your bank account with you to any country where you actually want and use it there as well and have also the same access and the same level of um, usability as if you would be in a hometown. There is no difference um, from that perspective. Okay. Uh, you mentioned security uh, points. Uh, does it mean that uh, N26 uh, has probably less some kind of internal regulations and to some extent probably less secure for users or no? I think it's the other way around for several reasons. I think it's, first of all, it has a higher uh, level of, of security required because it's um, built um, uh, for being actually accessible all the time at any point of time not just via an outlet. So I think we need to build it more um, secure. And it's the same regulations um, which apply to any other bank in Germany because uh, N26 has a bank license and there's the same standard regulations for all of them apply. Uh, but it takes it one more step further, which I think is so important, which is transparency. So for example, if somebody's using, it's, has copied your MasterCard for whatever reason, um, and used it in Thailand, um, and this transaction is not blocked, which is typically the case, but in case it wouldn't be blocked, you would still notice it immediately. So you get a notification, hey, your card was used in Thailand, maybe you could react. Or, it happens normally, somebody tried to use your card, um, but the card, the transaction didn't go through, um, which is important. So you have the information, oh, ah, thanks God, uh, somebody tried, but I know everything is safe. Or if you lost it, you can, again, instantly just block it. And then if somebody used your card, um, you would have a notification. Somebody tried to use your card, but it's blocked. Um, so the transaction wasn't going through. And you know nobody take, took uh, money from your account. And that's, that's, I think, what is really important, to have the full transparency on anything at any point of time. And that's what N26 gives you and why I think, actually, that their security is higher than compared to many other banks. You also mentioned uh, that uh, N26 is uh, like bank, real bank with uh, banking license, but it uh, it wasn't uh, from the very beginning so, uh, as far as I know. And uh, uh, you've been uh, partnering uh, with uh, a Wirecard bank, as far as I know. So you use them as a backend back, uh, for, for N26. Then you got uh, the license. Um, could you please elaborate on that topic, uh, what it takes for fintech startup to have a cold start without banking license, and what pros and cons uh, this, start, uh, this startup getting after actually getting this banking license? So, um, I, th I think it was a great partnership from the beginning on with Wirecard um, to actually allow a modern way uh, of banking and the approach to offer bank accounts on your mobile and this wouldn't have been possible without Wirecard to get this started at all. Um, why was it important for us at one point of time to get our own bank license? That's because you want to have the strategic liberty um, to actually decide what kind of products you offer and that's only based if, um, true if you have your own bank license but also it's important to really built the best technology um, from, a, from, for example, a core banking perspective, which can be a quite nice differentiator. And I give you um, maybe a couple of examples or two examples now. One, you can, for example, integrate with the National Bank for clearing, uh, which speeds up transfers between banks. 
Um, and the second one is, for example, that if you based on that, you have also notifications um, if there is a direct debit before the direct debit amount is taken from your account. And you can offer, for example, a feature where um, a user who hasn't enough money on his account is just notified, hey, there's a direct debit coming in. Um, please uh, just transfer money to your account or activate the overdraft so that this direct debit isn't cancelled because if it's cancelled, um, there will be a fee. Um, so we're helping the user in this case, for example, to save uh, on, a f uh, which, on the fee which could occur. And these are things which are an insight, so to say, which require the database, which is the uh, banking license. And uh, could you please give some advices for those who are in the very beginning, uh, like creating their own uh, fintech startup? And uh, is it uh, how difficult is that uh, to start without uh, a banking license and try and um, you know trying to find this uh, backend partner? What, what, what is like other uh, lots of banks which can. Uh, Mm, propose some kind of support like Wirecard. Uh, I just don't know uh, that topic. I'm not in that uh, domain and I think this will be pretty interesting for listeners who are in that sphere. Um, I think the great thing currently what is happening is to see banking as a platform. That There are banks like Solaris Bank which offer their, their services via an API, which I think help the whole industry fintech to get things started faster and quicker and better um and this this will in the future uh, for all coming fintechs and current fintechs make things just easier um and faster to bootstrap okay uh so uh, th these fintech startups can leverage uh, these uh, banking like platforms uh, banking as a service yes. right yes right and and uh, what do you see, think about the future of such kind of startups? What are the um, like probably still not solved uh, challenges in this sphere uh, where you see uh, opportunities for new startups? Uh, the finance space overall, um, I think there are a ton of opportunities. <laughs> I think a ton of startups are also working on those things. Um, the great thing is kind of specifically looking at Europe, the, the regulation is changing and opening a lot of things up with PSD2, for example, which allows to access account history um, for one year, for example, and everybody must, every bank must support it. There are things going on like instant SEPA, which is uh, the idea to have real-time money transfers within the Eurozone, um, then just, I think making, creating complete new use cases of uh, payments. And um, so there is a lot of things in this area is coming, but then you look into other areas from investment um, to also, I think insurance is a very interesting space um, to credit. Um, there, there are a ton of opportunities specifically to create better customer experiences and solve the problems, for example, um, yeah, solve problems which have been there. But I think also there's, it's getting a crowded space, so there are many startups currently working as well on, on some nice problems. And uh, it's pretty interesting that you moved from this industry and you not started your own company uh, as a fintech startup, but you moved to a different uh, industry. What do you think about the startups which are now working not on improving 
existing financial services, uh, but for like creating new financial industry with uh, like with cryptocurrencies, uh, which uh, uh, like in corporate sphere with initial coin offerings, uh, such kind of things. Uh, what do you think about this new, absolutely new disruptive sphere of uh, in finance? I think just I mentioned was one case before. I think that uh, cash. I just I think. It's very expensive for the whole government, uh, country, and therefore for everybody. I think it's also inefficient, for example, in many ways. I hate to carry cash in my wallet. Um, so I think it's time to make cash digitally, yet there is not a good solution, which is adopted uh, adopted by many um, and allows anonymous, anonymous payments um, at any size. And I think this is something which for example i hope to see coming in the next couple of years um but again i think those things are also they are not creating new market is not an easy task um and uh, requires patience and most likely also funding yes indeed uh, and am i correct that uh, yeah. you particu- particularly interested in uh, nlu nlp uh, technologies because as far as i understand you yes. you active you've been actively using them uh, for n26 and now actually it's a core of your business of new business right yes so uh, could you please give uh, like some kind of understanding of state of art uh, in nlu nlp uh, and probably mention some particular technologies you are using you, you used to use Yes, so I think that in, in terms of AI or artificial intelligence is here and will help um, to create massively better products in the future. And um, when specifically I'm interested in machine learning um, is when you have large amounts of data and um, which is very hard to to process with any role-based engine. And um, at N26, we use it for several use cases, one of them was just a little like a categorization, a classification of transactions to make more meaningful statistics, um, which is not always an, an easy task, especially, especially if you use, if you look into uh, P2P transfers. Um, at Six Voices, we've taken this to another level because um, offering a voice interface, um, you need to have the context, you need an understanding of the customer and there is, you cannot give thousands of options, but you must ideally give instantly the best answer. And that's, again, I think not an easy task. So what we have seen now is that in the last years, there have been massive improvements in like speech recognition, but also specifically in the natural language understanding, NLO, or also called the conversational AI. So uh, if somebody said something, what did he mean? Uh, and how can I answer on that? And um, in this field, there are also now a lot of players actually trying to provide meaningful solutions and frameworks from big companies like Facebook with API, Google with API, or Amazon with um, Lex. There's a lot of things going on, and um, the, it, it's really interesting to be part of that and creating actually... Um, new solutions, um, leveraging these kind of technologies, and uh, yeah. Okay, and what do you use, and probably what do you suggest, um, like building uh, some kind of products uh, based on NLU, NLP, uh, to use existing uh, 
SaaS platforms for that, uh, or uh, probably to use uh, existing uh, open source solutions. If you want to make meaningful machine learning, the key thing is you have you need to have data. Um, so at Nvenix, for example, we had a lot of transactions. Um, so if you have that, you can start training. Um, if you have training data, you can start training your algorithms, and it works. If you're a startup, maybe you don't have the training data, so it becomes a problem to apply machine learning for from right from the beginning. But you need to actually first collect data, and that's where existing frameworks, for example, uh, come in place. So you wouldn't do your own speech recognition engine if you don't have data, but maybe use, for example, um, the speech recognition engine of Google or of Baidu or one of the players. Um, if you have your own data collected, it might be meaningful um, to train your own engine because you, for your own use case, you can achieve much better results. And this is something which is really often the differentiator in this whole space. If you have data, what kind of data, what quality do you have? Um, because based on that, you can be, this can be a big differentiator um, and USP down the road. Uh, there is opinion uh, that uh, startups can compete with uh, big companies as uh, uh, Google, Microsoft, uh, Amazon only, uh, like in this uh, sphere, like uh, um, only by uh, finding uh, high quality data in probably some uh, specific uh, niche. Uh, and uh, starting from that, because uh, obviously Amazon and Microsoft, Google, they got uh, lots of data, and it's not impossible for a startup in any time to get such kind of uh, such kind of amount of data. And you are now starting your new company. Did you find this some kind of niche, or how do you get this data like from this scratch when you start company from this scratch? I think you can, if you would have funding, you can just buy it. Uh, maybe there are some other corporations or reasons how you can have access um, based on partnerships to this data. Some some data is also public available based on the com, on uh, uh, common licenses, um, which you might be able to use. For example, for speech recognition, you could use the TED from TED conferences. This data is also available uh, with, with transcripts of it but again it depends um most of the time i would expect you don't have data and that's what i meant when frameworks or existing solutions helps you to build the first iteration um and then you can later differentiate uh based on the things you have but typically i think it's not common to have this as a usp in a startup is that there are exceptions potentially okay uh, we already coming to the end of our podcast and probably uh, the last question. Uh, could you please uh, probably think a little bit about the future of speech recognition technologies, uh, products around these technologies? Uh, what can you predict in coming uh, three, five, seven years? Um, so three, five, seven years is a quite long horizon. What I think and what I look to and talk to people is they are the many people don't like to use their phone or their computer so much, but actually want to get rid of a little bit of display. Um, also, um, what we have seen now with Amazon Alexa that actually people like to talk to assistants to get things done fast and, uh, and quickly. And as a matter of fact, voice is four times faster than if it would just write, but it's also easier for anybody um, to do things. And the interesting part about voice is that 
it's the first time in history actually that um, systems uh, we don't need to learn the systems anymore, but actually uh, systems need to start to to understand us. And therefore, what I think is that voice as a user interface is really coming big, not just in the private space, but also in the office space, and it will make things faster and more efficient and more ready available for everybody. Um, so if anybody is interested in to what we are doing more specifically, uh, please just visit our website, which is sixvoices.com, six the number, um, and voices like voices.com, um, and sign up uh, for our product and stay in touch with us. Okay, uh, thank you very much, Christian, for, for your time. Uh, and I hope uh, you will be uh, in avant-garde of uh, the speech recognition technologies and products, and I wish you good luck with your company. Thank you very much, Alexander. It was a pleasure. Okay, thank you. Uh, dear listeners, uh, we love your comments. Uh, please go to ctocast.com or iTunes and leave your feedback. Uh, even if you don't like anything, uh, please go and just write it. Thank you, and don't forget to subscribe. Bye. Subscribe. <laughs>